Well, we're starting a new series today, a new four-week series called Supernatural. And I just want to acknowledge Pastor Craig Rochelle, and some of his teaching has really helped me shape some of the message today, so I need to acknowledge that. But let me jump into the Word of God now, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. You've got it on your notes. You can read along with me today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, the world is fascinated by the supernatural. And it's funny because the world is fascinated, but very happy to keep it at arm's length. You know, like we'll watch it in the movies maybe, we'll watch the television programs about it. But people are not willing to acknowledge that actually it comes close to us. Let me say this, in all of my years, uh, there would only be a handful of people I've spoken to who haven't had some sort of spiritual or supernatural experience, uh, usually that they can't explain, Christian and non-Christian alike. In fact, even talking with atheists, you dig a little deeper and there's something somewhere in their story. Some weird presence in the middle of the night that terrified them. Some crazy coincidence that was just too much of a coincidence to be real. Something that someone else called a miracle. But you know, the vast majority of people on this planet, they've experienced the supernatural and it is real. You know, the Bible is such an interesting book because it's not just a book of great teachings. It's not just a book of history. It's actually a supernatural book. And if you actually read it with your eyes open, you can't help but see it. Do you know in the first two verses of the very first book, we read about a supernatural being who creates everything that is visible. And in the very last two verses of the very, very last book of Revelation, we read about the same supernatural being who is coming back to this earth to inhabit it. It's a supernatural thing. And one of the key things we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about what is this supernatural world that is all around us. We're going to look at supernatural issues and how they play into the natural world that we live in. And there are, I think there are two common mistakes that we tend to make when it comes to the supernatural. You know, firstly, we either overemphasize it. You know, people who, who they see supernatural stuff everywhere. They blame the devil for everything that goes wrong. You know, they crash their car and it's like, man, the devil made me do it. Well, no, probably it was probably because you were texting at the time. That's probably why you crashed your car. Or, you know, people will flunk an exam. It's like, man, the devil made me fail my exam. Well, you know, maybe it was because you didn't do any study. I don't know. I, you know. Just maybe that could be part of it. You know, and the reality is, is that overemphasizing the supernatural is not helpful and it's not accurate. On the, on the other hand, we can also underemphasize the supernatural. And that's probably more the malady of the world that we're in today. People who say, you know, I don't really know if there is a spirit world, and if there is, I'm not really sure that it's relevant to me. And so it's important for us that we get a biblical perspective on this whole topic. So today is about a broad view. I want to give you a, a foundational understanding of what's going on around us right now that we cannot see. Next week, we're going to talk about the reality and power of the Holy Spirit. Week three, we're going to talk about angels and demons and what they are doing and what that is all about. And then in the last week of our series on Pentecost Sunday, we're going to be looking at the power of God manifest through you and through me. 
So for now, let's start by jumping back into the Word of God. I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. It says this, For though we live in the world, we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. See, though we live in a physical world, there is another world. There is a spiritual world in which we're told there's this, there's this war going on. And there's a war to establish spiritual strongholds that manifest in natural realities. And the battle is to demolish these spiritual strongholds and so hold back the plans of evil to influence the world in significant ways. And, and the scripture says in the spiritual battle that we don't fight with, with the same things that we fight with in the natural world. We don't drop nuclear bombs. We don't use AK-47s. We don't engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat. We don't even move in political maneuvering. Instead, we engage in battle with things that we don't normally think of as weapons. Prayer, faith, God's word, these are some of the things that actually demolish things in the unseen and that have an impact in the natural. So scripture says, how do we engage in this fight spiritually? Well, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Whose power? His power. In the supernatural, we're dealing with a realm of power that is utterly beyond what we have available to us. We need to be strong in his power power it's a different thing then the scripture says put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes whose schemes the devil's schemes you have a spiritual enemy scripture says his name is Satan and he hates you and what he's doing is he's plotting and he's planning and he's scheming to destroy your life that's what he wants to do now, it's funny, if we, if we look at the supernatural as it's portrayed in the media, you know, it's like, it's like good and evil, like two equal opposite opposing forces. That's such a genius lie that's been sold to us. It's important for us to realize that God and the devil are not equal opposites. Amen? God is good. God is a creator. God is up here. The devil is like one of these created things down here, and we must keep that perspective right Scripture says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Why does Paul say this? Because so often it feels like our struggle is against flesh and blood, right? Against people. But it's not. Paul says it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you have a battle on your hands, I'm telling you, it's not what you think it is. It's not against the government. It's not against the political party that you don't like. It's not against Hollywood. It's not against the Australian Rugby Union. Um, it's not against video games. It's not against your mother-in-law. It's not against your, your manager from hell. It's not against any of those things. Okay? Now, you may think it is, and it may feel like it is, but actually, the battle is actually against powers, principalities. It's against forces of the dark world that rage against God. There is a spiritual world that we are a part of that is just as real as the physical realm that we live and move in. And so I want to give you this morning three supernatural truths that will help you as you engage in trying to understand this life that we are a part of, that is more than what we see. The first supernatural truth is this. What you see is not all there is. 
What you see is not all there is. We must learn this important principle. Because we see through our physical eyes, we taste, we hear, we touch, we experience in the physical realm. And the older we get, the more we relegate to fantasy the other senses that we have. You know, children are so much more aware of the spiritual and the supernatural that we are. Sometimes we think that, that they're scared of things more easily. Sometimes they're just picking up on more than you are. There is a spiritual realm that we are a part of. You're, you're looking at me up here and I'm standing up here. We've got a, a pulpit and we've got a screen and we've got guitars and we've got all this going on. But you know what? The reality is there's actually so much more going on in this room even today that we cannot see, that we are not aware of. And, and these spiritual things influence the physical world as we're going to unpack in just a few moments. It's important that we get this. And let me say this, if you're going through a battle right now, if you're going through some sort of struggle in your life, you need to understand that what you see is not all that there is. And this leads on into the second supernatural truth, which is this, you are not alone in your battles. You are not alone in your battles. You're never, ever alone when you have Christ living on the inside of you. There's this great story in 2 Kings. Israel was at war against the king of Aram. Uh, and the king of Aram was trying, to, was trying to destroy Israel. But there was a prophet in Israel at the time, a prophet called Elisha. He had a servant. And God was passing messages to the king of Israel through Elisha on exactly what the king of Aram was doing. And so the king of Israel could not be outmaneuvered, and the king of Aram was enraged about this and decided to hunt down Elisha and eliminate him. Now, Elisha and his servant are staying in this particular city on this particular night. And in 2 Kings 6, we read this, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord. Oh, no, my Lord. He says, what shall we do? Now, and the guy is horrified. He's terrified. He knows they're playing a dangerous game, but now all of his worst fears have come to pass. He's like, man, we are so way outnumbered. They are everywhere, and it's just me and this prophet guy. We're in so much trouble. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Verse 16, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He's looking around, and he's like going, I don't know what Elisha's seeing here, but I ain't seeing this. And then it says, and Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord. Open his eyes so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And, and God just blew his mind. God gave him a glimpse into the spiritual world. Just for a moment, he let him see just for a moment what was actually going on in the unseen. And he realized that there were God's angels. God's military was everywhere, all around Elisha. He felt they were alone. He found out that they were not alone at all. And actually, what was going on in the unseen was going to radically influence what was going on in the scene. Let me say to you today, if you feel you're in a battle, you've got to remember there's more going on than what your eyes can see. And if you're in a battle, this is the truth. You are not alone in the battle. Now, the reality of the spiritual world tells us, sorry, teaches us another important principle from the story, and it's about prayer. Because it started when Elisha prayed. 
Supernatural truth number three, your prayers are more powerful than you know. You know, there may be times when you pray and you feel like, man, nothing happened. I prayed and nothing happened, nothing changed. But I'm telling you this, this is the truth. When you pray, things begin to happen in the supernatural. They begin to happen in the unseen. You know, there was this senior guy in the Bible. Uh, he was a talented leader and administrator. He was a prophet. He was a guy with some amazing stories of God's interventions. His name was Daniel. And Daniel was praying and apparently nothing happened. Daniel was, was, was waiting and, and nothing happened. Days passed, weeks passed, and nothing happened. And then one day out of the blue, when, when Daniel was kind of out on a bit, bit of a time with God out beside a river, an angel materialized beside him to deliver this message to him. He said, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, what a great name, came to help me because I was detained there by the king of Persia and now I have come. Now, we need to get our heads around that. What God is saying to Daniel is, you know, Daniel, the moment you prayed, the, the moment you prayed, God heard, and he started putting things in motion. You couldn't see it. You had no idea what was going on, but that is exactly what happened. God released his angels, but they got caught up. They got caught up by a, a, a very senior principality, a demonic principality that was trying to block what God was trying to do. And there was this battle that was going on for three weeks before finally another archangel, this guy Michael, came along and was able to hold the fort while this angel could break through and get the message to Daniel. You see, what you see in the physical realm is not all there is. There's a very real battle going on right now, and it's a battle not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and principalities of darkness. And the truth is this, is that your prayers are more powerful than you realize. But this reveals the fact that we have a spiritual enemy, and his name is Satan, the devil, various other names he has in Scripture. What does he do? Well, he does a lot of things, but today we're going to look at five specific things from Scripture that your enemy, the devil, does. And, and I'm sure as we go through these, some of these are going to resonate with you and you're going to go, oh, hold on, wow, okay, I didn't realize that. Number one, the first thing that we want to talk about is that the devil loves to blind the minds of unbelievers. Now, you may be here today and you're not a believer. You're like, you got dragged along or you got invited along by a friend and you thought, yeah, well, I'll come and check this out, let's do that. Um, I think you'll get this. For those of us who have had a relationship with God for longer, we may have to cast our minds back a few years to remember this. But I don't know if you remember, but before you knew God, before you had, a, had Christ in your life, you could read the Bible in plain English or, or you could hear it, hear a message in plain English and it just, it just didn't compute. It just didn't go in. It's hard to listen to. It was just so much easier to be distracted, you know, to think about, man, did, did, I, actually, did I actually leave the, I think I left the oven on. Like, did I leave the oven on? I don't, like, that just happens while you're reading Bible while you're hearing someone share a message like this. You get that. But here's the weirdest thing that happens. When you make that decision and you accept Christ in your life and that spiritual reality becomes yours, you know, that fast it happens. Now you're reading the Bible and you're just like, oh my gosh, it just comes alive, right? 
Like you're just getting stuff out of this. Like before you couldn't read one chapter. And now when you're first saved, man, you cannot put this book down. Like you're reading whole books at a time. It's an extraordinary thing. So what happened? Did you just like suddenly get a theology degree? No, you didn't. But what happened was that before this, someone was trying to blind your mind. There's something going on in the supernatural and we don't fully understand the mechanics of it, but we know that that's what the devil does. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, Paul writes, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He's trying to stop you from seeing the truth because if you see and experience the truth, and as you know, the truth is Jesus, the truth is the word of God, the problem is for him is that the truth will set you free and he knows that. And it will change you in a moment. And Satan is trying to blind the minds of unbelievers. The second thing that Satan loves to do is this. He's trying to steal God's word from you. He's trying to steal God's revelation from you. Now, I bet many of us can remember this, so I can relate to this. Remember a, t- a time when maybe you've, you've seen something or you read something in the Word and it was like, oh my gosh, it, like, it really spoke to you. You weren't even clear on what was going on, but there was like, there is something here. I think God is speaking to me. You know, it may have been through a message, may have been in worship, but, but you've had a moment where it's like, wow, I really got to do something with that. And then you wake up the next morning, you know, and it's like, and it's gone. It's like, that was weird. What was, what was that all about yesterday? Man, I was so fired up about that thing yesterday. I can't even really remember what that was now. Maybe I should have written that down. What's going on? Where did that revelation go? Where did that word go that God had sowed into your heart? Jesus explains this. Matthew 13, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. See, the devil blinds the minds of unbelievers and he loves to steal away the word of God, the revelation of God, whenever he can. The third thing that the devil loves to do is this. He loves to set traps to ensnare you. He wants to set traps to ensnare you. He wants to trap you into a lifestyle of sin that you can't see a way out of. You feel actually trapped in. But it's a, it's a lifestyle of sin that will ultimately wreck you and destroy your life. Let me explain it like this. There, there are certain, I studied zoology at varsity. I love animals. There are some animals I don't love. Okay, I don't love rats. Uh, we used to get big rats which would come into our hen house when I was a kid and they'd steal the eggs. And my dad would try and shoot them with the 22. It was a messy business. Then, I'm at, then when I'm teaching, I used to take my, my year 13 students to Otago Medical School Research Facility where they have all these Big rats they do experiments on. I learned some interesting things. You know the front teeth of rats? You know they never ever stop growing the whole lifetime of a rat? Like that is just creepy, just right out creepy. Not only that, apparently rats, the older they get, the grumpier they get. So you get a big old rat, he's a nasty sucker. Like, what, just... Not interested. In fact, here's a funny story. I was, a, I was at a zoo a wee while ago, and we were going past these enclosures where there's meant to be like these big animals, and like they're meant to be bears and stuff. They're like, no bears. Like, there's nothing more disappointing, right, than going to a zoo and you can't see any animals. And we're looking, we're going past them like, this, like there's nothing in there. And this is the absolute truth. Suddenly, this big old rat starts hopping through that. And I'm like, yeah, I know where the bears are gone. Man, they're flipping up trees somewhere. They're getting out of there because they had, hate rats as well. See, what do you do with rats? You've got to trap rats. That's what you've got to do. You've got to trap them. Now, here's the thing. There is an enemy who's setting traps, but you're the rat. He's trying to set traps for you. 
You're the one he's after. Have you ever noticed that? Like, If you've got a point of vulnerability or weakness in your life, you will find that it's like the devil tries to trap you in that when, it's, when you're most vulnerable to it. If you're trying to, maybe you're trying to leave a party lifestyle. Maybe you just, you, alcohol's got a bit of a hole in your life and you're trying, to, you're trying to move on from that. What happens? The very next day, your friends turn up with a whole keg. Free. Like funny how that happens, right? Maybe you're trying to purify your mind. Like I've got to deal with my thought life. And then you flick on the TV and the first thing you see is like something that just causes lustful thoughts. Like out of the blue, like wow, where did that come from? Like I thought I was watching the news. Why isn't the news? What, what is, like it's funny how that happens. Or maybe you're trying to get out of debt, and the moment you make the decision, that's it, I'm going to cut up my credit cards, the next thing that pops up on your Facebook feed is, you know that place where it has all the clothes you really love, and it's like 90% off just today. Like, what is that? Wherever you're weak, that's where he attacks. Here's how it's explained in Scripture. 2 Timothy 2.26 talks about how that, hopefully that these, the people who come to Christ, they will come to their senses and what? Escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Satan wants to blind your minds. He wants to steal God's word. And he wants to trap you into a destructive lifestyle that you feel you cannot get out of. The fourth thing he does is this. He blocks God's work. Satan works to roadblock what God is wanting to do in your life. First Thessalonians, Paul says, For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But what? But Satan blocked our way. You know, and this happens in our lives. You might get a vision uh, about from God that you want to do. And you watch how Satan just tries to block that. And we have to decide if we're going to hit the first obstacle and cave and go, oh, well, maybe it's not meant to be. Or if we're going to be like Paul, he's, just gonna, he's going to keep trying until he finds a way around the roadblock to do what God has called him to do. You know, you might, might be like, that's it. We're going to be good stewards. We're going to be better stewards. We're going to cut our spending right down. You and your wife decide that. It's, we're going to get our budget under control. What happens? The next day, your car goes on fire. It's the weirdest, or the washing machine. Like it's a brand new washing machine just dies the next day. These things sometimes can be the devil just working in, in that world and bringing that attack in. Sometimes you're going to be like, that's it. We're going to have a great marriage, honey. We are going to pray together every day. You get up next morning, you go to pray with your dearly beloved. What happens? Fight of the decade breaks out. Or maybe you decide you're going to share your faith with somebody. Like, I'm praying for this guy in my workplace. And then you get later on that week and then this perfect opportunity arises. There's this really poignant moment and he asks a question. And you're just about to share what Jesus has done in your life. And his cell phone rings. And it's an emergency, like right now. Like that emergency could have happened yesterday or an hour ago or, or tomorrow or next Tuesday. But it doesn't happen right now. Has anyone ever experienced these kind of things? Man, I tell you, I know I have. It is a crazy thing. You have got spiritual opposition. The forces of darkness try to stop us from pressing on and doing what God has called us to do in this world that demolish spiritual strongholds and see the work of God go forward. The fifth thing is this. We need to understand that the devil is actually, he has plans to destroy you. He's not just walking around like opportunistically going, oh yeah, we'll try and attack so-and-so. He's planning this. He has plans to destroy you. First Peter 5.8, be alert and, sober, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Just go check out any Netflix, National Geographic thing on Netflix about lions and how they hunt. They hunt as a team. But what they also do is they are always planning how they're going to isolate someone from a herd. They're looking for the old, the weak, the sick, the young, someone they can cut off and get by themselves. That is what the devil wants to do in your life. He's trying to work out, how can I isolate you? How can I pick you off? How can I separate you from the places where you get strength from? How can I, get them, how can I stop them going to church? How can I stop them going to a small group? How can I stop them hanging out with that person in their life or that mentor? How can I do that? He is planning to do that. He wants to devour you. Your marriage, your kids' lives, your health, your finance, your witness. He uses drugs, he uses porn, he uses debt, he uses greed, he leverages sickness and disease. He wants to wreck your relationship with God. Why? Because he can't touch God. So everything he does is to destroy the thing that God loves the most. And what does God love the most? He loves you the most. He loves you the most. And so that is why we have a battle on our hands. Okay, so now let's get into the nitty-gritty of it and the time we have left. How do you fight? What does it mean to be a part of this? How do we engage in a battle that oftentimes we're not even aware is going on? Well, the first thing is actually sometimes, you know, we can think that the supernatural thing is about getting weird. Mm. Actually, you know what? Sometimes it's actually about waking up. We're going to wake up to some of the things that are going on around about us. So how do we engage in this battle? Let's, let's let Scripture teach us how we do that. Ephesians chapter 6, 13 to 18. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Okay, so let's break this down in the time we have left. How do we engage in this spiritual battle? Put on the full armor of God, Paul says. So when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. Funny story. When I got my first motorbike when I was like 15 years old, my dad says, all right, son, you've got a motorbike, now you've got to wear a helmet. I'm like, a helmet? I'm not going to wear a helmet. Like, that's for, no, I'm not going to wear a helmet. He says, you're not going on the bike without a helmet. So I grumbled, put a helmet on, and I went out into our orchard with our motorbike, and I rode around, and I went around in a big circle, and then I fell off, and I crashed headfirst into a tree. True story. Like, literally. I was so embarrassed. I mean, I've got enough brain damage as it is, but that would have really messed things up. It would have made the sermon a lot more interesting, probably. But, but you know, I, I learned a lesson that day, that there are certain activities, if you're going to engage in them, you have to have protection. I remember, fast forward, I don't know, about 20 years, and I'm no longer riding a 90cc, I'm now riding a 1000cc Honda just a few years ago. I came off it, going up through a gorge up towards Kaitaia, I slid on my back up the road, through the gravel, off a bank, managed to catch a tree as I fell down this kind of little cliff face thing, walked away without a scratch. Why? Because I had my helmet on, I had a jacket on with armor in my back and elbows and shoulders, I had it all belted on to my pants, which also had armor on, I had my boots on, my gloves, I had all the gear on. You know, I see people riding in the motorway, on, in motorbike, on motorbikes in shorts and t-shirts, 
with jandals on, honestly, it just makes me shudder. It's like running into battle. Running into battle in your speedos, ladies and gentlemen. That's what that's like. Now, there are, you know, there are spiritual things that we must wear, we must own and carry and put on like you wear heavy-duty protective gear. Helmet, jacket, belts, boot, armor. I have a nephew who's just joined the police force and he's already told me some of the stories of some of the things he's got into. You know, if there's a riot, he has to put on gear, a helmet, a bulletproof vest, a gear belt, boots. He has to carry a shield. He has to have a weapon. These are the standard things that they have to have when they're going into a conflict situation. Now, Paul says the same thing for us. But I want us to understand this. Each one of these is a metaphor. It's a reminder of a spiritual reality that is effective against the attacks of the enemy. So let's begin quickly. Number Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Okay, we're talking about truth. It's not a belt. Okay, it's truth. truth the belt is just a metaphor. It's a picture so we can understand its function. And it's important. In the military, your belt or your webbing, it holds everything together, and it's on which everything, including your weapon, hangs. It holds it together. Let me tell you, you'll be taken out of the supernatural battle if you are not clear on truth, on what is true. Jesus is the truth. Truth is complete in a person. It's not a set of rules or laws or principles. Truth is Jesus. It's him and it's it's his word. His word is true. His promises are true. His goodness and love for you are true. And we've got to carry that everywhere that we go. The devil is the father of lies. If he can deceive you, if he can get you to doubt the truth, you are in trouble. Because what we do then is we take off the truth, not realizing that everything that we're going to need going forward is connected to that in some way. Keep the understanding of truth close to you at all times. Never take it off. It holds everything else together. Next one is this, the breastplate of righteousness in place. It's righteousness. Okay? It's not a breastplate, but it functions like one. Okay? Like a bulletproof vest or a stab-proof vest, it protects your heart. And this is what this thing is. Righteousness is the fact that you are righteous. You are right with God and you are right with people. It was given to you. You didn't earn it. It's not because you flash good or anything else. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross to pay for your sin. And he gave you this gift of righteousness. Now, this is so important. Like a, like a bulletproof vest, it was given to you, but you've got to wear it and you've got to wear it tight. Nothing wounds our heart more than not being right with someone. Amen. Nothing wounds our heart more. Having someone offended with you, or maybe you being offended at what someone else has done, being hurt deeply on the inside affects us. It affects our ability to stand, to live, to operate. Proverbs says that we have to guard our heart because from it flow the very issues of our life. When you feel miles away from God, when you have sinned or messed up, when you have hurt someone else, or when you are hurting, you must never forget that you are righteous. The devil wants you to believe you are not righteous. He wants you to believe that you are a filthy sinner, that you have messed up again. And we don't stand in righteousness and arrogance. We do it in humility. Why? Because we didn't earn it. Jesus did it for us, but he gave it to us. And righteousness must stay close. We keep in that place by confession and repentance and forgiveness. 
Man, if you forget that you are right with God, if you open yourself to pain and hurt and anger and destruction on the inside, you are in trouble. If the devil can get to your heart, he can take you out of the battle. Okay, the next one is this. You've got to have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Okay, the gospel is not footwear. Okay? But it's an understanding of the gospel that keeps us moving forward, that enables us to keep moving forward. You see, that gospel message is the power of God for salvation. That's the only thing we really offer anybody is the gospel. It's the hope that, you know what, Jesus loves them. And yes, they're a sinner and they're separated from God by their sin, but Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And that if we receive him into our lives, we can be made children of God. That is the gospel. We, if you don't know what the gospel is, it can be expressed in four ideas and four scriptures. And at the end of almost every service, we go through it. So if you want to learn what the gospel is, just get your ears on at the end of every service. And you'll learn the gospel really quick. But it's the only thing that changes a human heart. No argument will do that. No therapy will do that. No force or law or terror will do that. Only the gospel. So if we want to do something in this battle, we've got to keep truth close to us and keep that buckled up tight. We, we know what is truth. We've got to understand that righteousness must be ours all of the time. We've got to understand that the gospel is something that keeps us moving forward because it's what we have to offer a lost world. In addition to all this, Paul writes, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Faith, it's not a shield. It's faith, but it works like a shield. When your spiritual enemy comes at you, accusing you, firing projectiles at you, it's your faith that brings those to nothing. It's faith that extinguishes those. Why do you always have negative thoughts coming into your mind? They're fiery darts of the evil one, as Scripture describes it. Things like, you're nothing, you're no good, you're pathetic, you could never, ever make a difference. And if you did, you really think God would love you anyway? He'll never use you. Your marriage will always be bad. You'll always be broke. You'll always be sick. You're always going to be miserable. You're nothing. And faith counters every one of those accusations with, no, I trust Jesus. No, I have faith in Jesus. He is who the Bible says he is. He does what the Bible says he will do. And because of that, I can be who Jesus says I can be. And I can have what the Bible says I can have. And that is where I stand. So the devil can throw whatever he wants at you, but it's faith that brings those to nothing. Amen? It's faith that brings those to nothing. So you always hold on to your faith. Always keep your faith high. Keep that trust in Jesus. Doesn't matter what comes on the good days or the bad days. Don't let anything shift you from that position. I trust in Jesus. That is what I am holding high. And then take the helmet of salvation. Salvation is not a helmet, but it works like one. I am saved. And this frames how I think about the world. It protects my mind. I was lost. Yes, I was absolutely lost. And now I am found. And I am His. And I have been saved. And He did that. I've been saved from my sin. And He did that. It is His gift to me. And because of that, that helps me to understand the world that I am in. It's not because I grew up or studied up or lifted my game that I got saved. Salvation was a gift extended to me by grace through faith. It's mine because I trust in Jesus and I am saved. I am saved and actually we all need to be saved. Every person on the planet. Never forget that. And then Paul writes, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're talking about the Bible 
Okay, it's not a sword, but it is a weapon. When Jesus was tempted three times by Satan, tempted to give in, to hand it all over, to bow down to reason and the offer of power and the lure of selfish desires, how did Jesus come back at the devil? He came back with words from the Bible three times, three different temptations. He quoted the word of God and he resisted the devil and eventually the devil had to run away. You know, in James, James tells us that when we do it, when we resist the devil, the devil flees. You know, we need to understand that when, when it says that the devil left him, the devil didn't just left him, the, leave him. The devil fled from Jesus because of what Jesus gave. He didn't calmly walk away. He didn't go, hey, nice one, Jesus. Oh, you got me with those three scriptures, then called an Uber and hung around waiting for that to come and pick him up. That wasn't what happened. You know, Jesus comes back at him with the word of God. The devil is so beat up. He's so smashed and wounded. He is like out of there. He is taken off. He is fleeing. And that is what the word of God does to the influence of the enemy when he comes into our life with all of the junk that he tries to lay upon that. Understand that you've got to use the word of God in the battle. You've got to use it against the devil's plans. Use it against his tools of sickness and debt and fear and lies. And then Paul says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. He didn't just say pray, he says pray in the Spirit. He's talking about the gift of tongues. Prayer is powerful, no doubt about it. We've already learned that. But let us never forget that praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, is, a, is, is another level. It is direct contact with headquarters. It is like, in a military, it's like calling in an airstrike. It's like calling for reinforcements. It's like downloading the latest intelligence reports. It is like the, getting the latest plans and strategies of the enemy's movements. Paul says, I want every one of you to pray in tongues. He says, he says, I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Why? Because Paul knew what was ahead of him and he knew that if he was going to win the battle, he was going to have to lean into that in a powerful, powerful way. It was a key part of Paul's practice. It should be a key part of ours as well. Why? Because what you see with your eyes is not all there is. What you see with your eyes is not all there is. So let me wrap it up. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not of this world. What you see with your eyes, it's not all there is. Good news is you're not alone in your battles. You're never alone in your battles. And your prayers, well, they're far more powerful than you ever realized. And God has given us some gear that we need to live in, some key things that we've got to hold close to us that are absolutely integral if we are going to be people who stand. We need salvation. We need to get our heads around that. We need to get our heart around righteousness. We need to make sure that truth is so a part of our position that it's buckled on. We need to lift high our trust in Jesus all of the time. We need to know and utilize the Word of God against the attacks of the enemy. We need to pray in tongues. We need to lean into these things. These are so important. Because the war has been won by Jesus on the cross. But we are still fighting the battles that make a difference in the reality of the generation that we are in. John, 1 John 4, 4, You dear children are from God and you have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world.